Hello and welcome to Dairy Pod. Today we're honoured to be talking to Melbourne University Professor Richard Ecker, a renowned expert on the use of nitrogen in agriculture. With a strong milk price, dairy farmers are looking to maximise profits by growing as much spring feed as possible. Today we want to explore how smarter use of nitrogen can put more grass in the silage pit while minimising the cost of applications. But before we get started, in our podcast today, we're also privileged to hear about some new research that Richard's working on called the Profit for Nitrogen Project. It's supported by and funded from the Australian Government Department of Agriculture as part of its R&D for Profit program, the University of Melbourne, Tasmanian Institute of Agriculture and Dairy Australia. So Richard, welcome to Dairy Pod. Great, thanks Aaron, good to talk to you. Well, spring has well and truly started in Gippsland. Uh, we've received um, some rain and, and also through parts of southeast Gippsland. So what are, what are some of the key opportunities that you can see for farmers right now in, in relation to the use of nitrogen? Thanks. As, as you say, you know, temperatures are warming up, um, soil temperature, air temperature is warming up. We've still got enough rainfall around. We've had good rain over the winter period in many areas, some areas maybe not as much. But um, what we see with those increasing growth rates is one of the key drivers of growth rate in pastures is nitrogen. Other fertilizers play a role, but they play a background role to support the growth rate that nitrogen can drive. And so the opportunity now to increase the growth rate to get as much uh, grass growth and possibly store some up for the dry summer uh, is, is in this window in spring, September, maybe October, and the next four weeks at least, to put on nitrogen fertiliser, accelerate the grass as much as possible and get that surplus locked away. So when we're applying nitrogen, um, what sort of rate would you be looking to apply um, and, and how would you work that out um, for, for starters? Yeah, so, so we, we, we go back to the four R's of uh, nitrogen fertiliser best practice, the right rate and the right source, the right placement, the right time. We actually throw a fifth R, another R in there, which is formulation, because uh, now, nowadays there's formulations of nitrogen fertiliser, slow release products and all that. We can talk about those. Um, but when we come to the rate of nitrogen, a lot of our research says no less than about 20 units of nitrogen, 20 kilograms of N, not urea, it's 20 kilograms of nitrogen, no less than that, uh, because we find that that doesn't give you a good response or a detectable response with all the background nitrogen that's floating around on dairy farms from dung and urine and other sources. But also we don't recommend you go over about 50 kilos of nitrogen, units of nitrogen per hectare in any single application. Um, because above that, again, it becomes an unreliable, unpredictable response. Sometimes you get a great response, sometimes you get nothing. So to stay on that steep part of the response curve, we usually say somewhere between 20 and 50 units of nitrogen. So we're coming into spring and pasture growth rates are starting to, to really um, progress and become quite fast, in fact exceeding uh, what cows can eat on a day. So we're going on a faster rotation. So then does there, are there some messages that we need to put across to farmers then as well when you're thinking about application and how much nitrogen a plant can use on a daily basis? Yeah, that's correct. So, so what we do then is we start thinking more in terms of the units of nitrogen per day required. So if you think about the 20 to 50, how do you know whether you put on the 20 or the 50? Well, it depends on how much extra grass you want and what the rotation is. So if you think, if you translate that into 1.5 kilos of 
nitrogen per hectare per day. And if you're on a 20-day round, it gives you a lighter rate than if you're on a 28-day round, for example. Um, so you adjust the rate dynamically to accommodate uh, how frequently you're going to come back to that paddock. Lighter rate for shorter rotations, heavier rate for the longer rotations. Mm, to make sure you've utilised that. Yeah. Um, if you didn't do that, um, then what, what would be the cost? If um, you went and put it at that higher rate, um, but the plant wasn't going to utilise it before you graze it again, what happens then? So, give you an example. So, if you're on a, a 10 to 1 rate, uh, growth rate, a response to nitrogen, so 10 kilos of extra dry matter per kilo nitrogen applied, um, and uh, if you utilise all of that, well, that's a 10 to 1 response, and that's very economic. We usually say in a normal year, not when forage prices are so high, but in a normal year, break even is about 5 to 1. So, 5 kilos of extra dry matter per kilo nitrogen applied. In a normal year, you can usually go and buy something else at that same price. So why the 5 to 1 and 10 to 1? If you're on a 10 to 1 rotation and you only utilize 50% of the extra grass you grow, well, you've actually only achieved a 5 to 1 response. Mm -hmm. That's actually what the cows have seen and what your farm has seen. You've wasted the rest. So utilization of the extra grass you grow is actually vital to the economics of using nitrogen. So if you've got a 10 to 1 response and you can aim to utilize as much of the extra grass you grow, well that is a 10 to 1 response that you've got. And that's very economic in a normal year, you're paying something like $150 a ton for the extra feed you've bought onto the farm. 5 to 1 response, well you're paying something like $300 for the extra grass you've bought onto the farm. And this year grain prices are probably still high, but in a normal year when you can pay $250 a ton for grain, well. If you don't utilise the extra response, it's probably cheaper to have bought grain. Mm. But in this year, I w would suggest that where we've still got grain prices perhaps sitting between $450, $500 per tonne, uh, then if we get good utilisation of the nitrogen that we apply, then there are good economics um, in that, this stage for farm businesses. Very much so. So if we have the, the 10 to 1 response, very economic. I mean, you think you're buying it at $150 a tonne and grain's $450, well, it, you've got a long way to go. Um, that probably plays out into thinking about nitrogen further into the season as well. So even into October when things might start growing out, if the grass is still actively growing, think about whether you can actually get a 6 to 1, 5 to 1 response to the nitrogen because that might be costing you $300 a tonne because it's dried out already and you're getting a lesser response, but it's still cheaper than the alternative. Mm. So we, we can provide a lookup table that actually shows you what the prices are um, for nitrogen at different times and different responses. But I would suggest that you look at the growth rate that you've got and you think about the concept of growth rate. If the growth rate is really high, like in the peak of spring and you've got 80 kilos of dry matter a day growth rate, it's illogical to think that nitrogen can double that. It'll probably only pick it up another 20%, 25%. If your growth rate has slowed down now into October and you've got 25 kilos of dry matter a day, you could potentially almost double that with nitrogen um, at that time of the year. Or the same applies in the early, winter, uh, early spring period. So when you're just coming out of winter and you're going from 10 kilos of dry matter a day up to about 15, that's the time of the year when nitrogen can possibly double that growth mm. rate, take mm. it up to 20. So it's really important to look strategically yeah. uh, when you're applying it. Exactly. Thinking about the amount of um, nitrogen you apply on an annual basis, um, have you got some comments about that or some recommendations for farmers as well? 
Yeah, look, I, I think annual nitrogen um, is probably something important from the point of view of the sustainability of the operation, the overall picture of the loading of nitrogen and future environmental legislation. Um, in terms of the strategic approach to nitrogen, it's probably not very helpful because you could actually have a cold, protracted wet winter with a cold spring and growth rates are depressed and therefore need more nitrogen in that year. Or you could have a warm winter where you get good growth rates all the way through the winter and need a lot less nitrogen because there's a lot more coming out of the soil. Mm. So if you apply the idea of more strategic approach to nitrogen, don't think in terms of annual rates of nitrogen. Think more in terms of, do I need nitrogen now? Is the growth rate low? Can I pick it up with nitrogen? Or is it cheaper to go and buy something else? Um, that way you make the right tactical decision about using nitrogen. Um, we, we always used to say, instead of putting nitrogen in your fertilizer budget, put it in your supplementary feed budget, because then you make the right choice. Mm. You're saying, can I buy something cheaper mm. um, than putting on nitrogen? What's the cheapest way of buying extra feed onto the farm? Using nitrogen or buying grain or buying high hill, buying silage. And I think you make the right decision that way. And, and certainly utilising nitrogen to help um, produce that spring surplus as silage um, is beneficial as well in terms of... Yeah, so, so definitely um, using nitrogen as, you, as you're going into the spring growth period, um, if you need to lock away a bit more silage and hay or, or maximise the amount you're storing, particularly with the emerging more sort of variable seasons we've had of late where the summer has been less predictable, the autumn break hasn't come quite as early as we'd like it to come, um, the need to have more strategic fodder reserves on the farm that are homegrown that mm. you can control the price of mm. becomes really important. Yeah. And so putting on nitrogen in spring, particularly going into that drying period of October, maybe even into November, depending on how the rains go, becomes really important tactically to get the cheapest possible feed to lock away. For Whilst you've got the highest growth rates yeah, as well yeah. Yeah, to maximise that. So we've, up to now, we've had a reasonable um, spring um, in southeast Australia. Um, but you mentioned um, that there, there is a little bit of uncertainty once we get through to October with uh, weather patterns and, and what's happening um, with the Indian Ocean dipole. So would you like to comment a little bit about yeah. What, what you're seeing So there's there. another project I'm involved in called Forewarned is Forearmed. It's another federally funded and Dairy Australia funded project. Um, and what we're looking at there is can we improve the ability to predict some of these extreme events and how they might play out. And part of that is improving the Bureau of Meteorology's ability to predict these extreme events. And uh, this spring is a classic where that model has now come out and said there's a sudden warming in the southern hemisphere, in the south, over the South Pole, um, called a sudden stratospheric warming event. And that's likely to play out in a very dry October through to December, somewhere north of the dividing range. Now, that means that New South Wales and Queensland are going to have a hot and dry October to December period. We're not sure how far it will come south. So we know Tasmania is probably going to get wetter and colder. Maybe South Gippsland and the back of the Otways might get more rain, but we're not quite sure where the cutoff lies. Coupled with that, there's a positive signal in the Indian Ocean dipole. Put those two together, there's uncertainty from October to December as to whether we'll get drier weather than usual or not. Um, now, if you are in risk managing risk, um, then you'd say, well, let's plan for 
as much grass growth as we can between now and mid-October, lock away as much as we can using nitrogen, forward contract to, to get that locked away and put into silage and hay because there is a risk after that that you may get the rain but I've, in this kind of climate we're in at the moment there's no downside of having extra storage on farm because either you'll need it or someone north of you will need it. Um, and so I don't think there's a downside of this recommendation to put on more nitrogen and to get as much grass growth as possible because we may only have four weeks to get as much as we can. We might have a normal spring. We might, have, we might be lucky in that south of the ranges we get um, more rain and it'll actually be a great all the way through to November, December. We don't know. So the key take-home message from there is that we need to act right now yep. whilst we've got moisture in the soil, get your nitrogen out in case uh, we are hit with the, this drier weather pattern during October. You mentioned that from October through to December. Do your models predict beyond December what's going to happen? The, the models only predict around to about January at this stage and they can't tell us much about what will emerge after that. Um, at this stage, well, we know January, February is pretty dry anyway. Um, we, we don't predict a lot of grass growth during that period unless you've got irrigation. Um, so let's, let's plan for it to be dry from then on through to the autumn break anyway, as per normal. Um, anything we get in that time is a bonus, but generally we don't plan for much grass growth. You've also started some new research, which we mentioned at the start of the podcast today, which is um, some work that you're doing on autumn nitrogen use. Would you like to tell us a little bit more about that and what you think will be the, the key findings of the work yeah. that you're doing? So what the best practices used to say, the best practices for nitrogen, so the Fed Smart guidelines, used to say, the moment you come into the autumn break and you've got some rainfall, go out and spread your nitrogen. And we've done a lot of modelling around, around that and actually discovered that in Western Victoria and South Gippsland, over the last 20 years, 18 out of the last 20 years didn't give us a response to nitrogen in that autumn period, as per the recommendation. So we had to rethink it. Um, and what we've discovered is there's two things happening there. One, um, there's just simply not enough moisture. If you've been through a dry summer and you get to that autumn break and you have a 25 millimeter, even a 40 millimeter rain event, that only goes a few centimeters into the soil. The subsoil is still too dry to grow grass. And putting on nitrogen isn't going to grow more grass out of no water. That's just simple physics. Mm. Um, and so what we'd say is uh, at the time of the autumn break, you have to wait until there is moisture down the root zone, plus there is a strong forecast or follow-up rain so that you know and have confidence that actually the grass will be growing, then you can accelerate that grass with nitrogen. The other complication of putting on nitrogen at the autumn break is if you've had a dry summer, you've had all the soil nitrogen organic matter break down over the summer. The bugs keep working in the soil even though it's dry, mm. but you've had no plant growth. So the plants haven't actually been pulling that nitrogen out as the bugs have freed it up in the soil. And some work that a colleague of mine, Helen Souter, has done in Western Victoria showed that they had 90 kilograms of nitrogen per hectare sitting in the soil waiting to be utilised at the autumn break. Mm -hmm. So putting more nitrogen fertiliser on top of that 90 kilograms of nitrogen isn't going to grow you more grass either. So you, you're wasting your money by doing that. Yep. So if there's 90 kilos of nitrogen just sitting in the soil waiting to be utilised by plants once they start growing, how long will it take the plants to utilise that? Yeah, so our, our, our thinking is... Um, at the autumn break, you have rain, 
there's some growth, um, there's follow-up brain, probably within the first four weeks of getting the start of what we think is the autumn break, which is probably now sometime in May, um, that sometime towards late May you start thinking, okay, there's enough soil moisture, that nitrogen's probably been taken up by the plant, we can start coming in with nitrogen. It's, it's an important window to think about because you do want to have the plant well fertilized before you go into the cold period. Mm -hmm. So sometime in late May, you've got to think about putting on nitrogen if you want a more vigorous plant to go into winter. Mm -hmm. But don't put it on too early because it's actually probably going to just get lost. Mm. So Richard, uh, I just wanted to touch a little bit on that late application of nitrogen, say in, in late November. Uh, would you say there's um, a risk and award, reward associated with that? Yeah, so originally we used to say um, coming into the drying period in November, um, that if the soil is drying out, the rainfall doesn't seem to be coming, that you shouldn't put on more nitrogen because it'll be wasted. But actually, we, this latest research we've done has actually shown that the reward of getting it right on those occasions you do is so high um, and such a great benefit because you've actually grown that extra hay crop and you've controlled the price onto your farm of a good quality feed. So the reward is actually really high. We also looked at the lost pathway of that nitrogen if you get it wrong. So if there's no follow-up rain, actually you think of nitrogen loss in terms of where's the water going, because water has a big, big role in nitrogen loss. Mm. And at that time of the year you're drying out, so there's not drainage going on, there's not waterlogging going on. Um, there might be a little bit of ammonia volatilization going on, but actually the nitrogen that you've applied in November generally just hangs around in the soil if there's no rainfall for it to be taken up. And it waits for some opportunity in the future to give you a, a, a reward. So we think actually if you are desperate for feed, you really want to take that risk. November nitrogen actually, if there's follow-up rains predicted or you think there's going to be growth rate, it's actually probably worth doing. Mm. Particularly if, if you were, um, did get a summer storm that came through and had a couple inches in it, then you're wetting down to the profile and then you could access that nitrogen. Then you can get that, that rainfall. Yeah. That's less likely to be a benefit by the time you get to February. Mm -hmm. So, to be you know, the November nitrogen, you're, you're hedging that you've still got some soil moisture from the spring period, mm -hmm. um, plus some follow-up rain, you've got enough moisture for growth, and the temperatures are not high enough to lose too much to ammonia volatilization. If you flip it around to February, it's usually just too dry. So unless you've got irrigation, nitrogen in February probably isn't a great idea. So moving into irrigation and utilising nitrogen as a tool, um, some tips associated with that, particularly if we're looking, for example, in um, areas like McAllister Irrigation District and we've got flood, um, using flood irrigation, what are some key messages we need to think about in those areas? Yeah, so in the warmer, warmer period of the year when um, there's a risk of volatilisation loss, um, I must emphasise that from the autumn break to November, the risk of volatilisation loss is really small. And if you follow the principle, if there's enough moisture, then it dissolves the nitrogen. The risk of losing that is well below 10%. How quickly does the nitrogen dissolve? Like nitrogen, how much moisture are we talking about? Yeah, so, so um, during that May to November period, um, the urea itself is hygroscopic. That means it actually sucks moisture out of the dampness around it. So, so just a bit of humidity around it, which you get plenty of in that grass canopy, that's enough to dissolve urea. You flip it around to the February period and under drying conditions in South Gippsland or uh, West Gippsland, um, 
in that uh, February period, if you've gone through a really dry summer and you've got, say, 15% soil moisture, then three days later you'll still see the granules sitting on the soil and you're at high risk of volatilization mm. loss because there's not enough moisture to really dissolve it. Mm. So that's where you either don't apply it under dry land conditions or if you've got irrigation, you can come in with irrigation on top of the nitrogen. Uh, we would recommend irrigating most efficiently to irrigate, apply the nitrogen, then irrigate on top of it and to wash it into the soil. We don't think washing it into the soil is needed from the autumn break to November, but definitely during the dry summer period, if you're irrigating, washing it into the soil is important to reduce ammonia volatilization. The worst case scenario we explored at Ellenbank was where we irrigated in February, 25 millimeters, and then applied the nitrogen the next morning. Under those conditions, the next few days of highly evaporative conditions, we lost 30% of the of oh, the urea. Interesting. And so if, we, if I'm applying it when I'm irrigating, um, should I also be thinking that, making sure that I'm keeping it on the bay or on the paddy? Because obviously it, you're saying nitrogen's highly mobile. So if we've got water washing off the end of our bay and we can't capture it in a reuse system, then we've got a high chance of losing nitrogen, I would think. Yeah, so you'd have to be very waterways. careful about, about water running off the end of the bay. If you've put on nitrogen before, um, uh, some of the techniques are you leave the last section of the bay without nitrogen, you don't spread it there because you know it's going to move in the water. Um, you got to remember urea is highly soluble. So the moment the water runs down, it's going to dissolve into the water. That's great for the water that goes straight into the soil, but for the head that moves down the bay, uh, it's going to carry nitrogen in it. Um, and if you compensate for that by not fertilizing the last quarter of the bay, well, that probably actually wouldn't be a bad strategy. Obviously, the ideal condition is not to let water run off the end of the bay, if, if that was possible. It's not always possible. Um, and then, obviously, a reuse pond, well, actually, there would be some nitrogen left in that water as well. So I, I think there's some strategies that we can have to, to make sure the nitrogen goes into the soil or as much of the water goes into the soil as possible. Looking, um, farmers are very visual, um, and so um, look, could you give us an indication of some visual cues um, that you would look for in a paddock to say this, this paddock actually needs to have nitrogen applied soon? Yeah, so the, the obvious cues are um, yellowing, so just a general yellowing and that the urine patches, urine patches have high potassium and high nitrogen, both make it greener. So don't get confused between potassium and nitrogen because um, they both produce a yellowing effect and urine patches both show up greener as a result. You can usually tell the difference if you know you've got potassium levels reasonable in the soil, so you've done your soil test, you've shown potassium is adequate. If the urine patches are still showing up or they're still yellowing between urine patches, then you know you're short of nitrogen. Another sign if you do have a frost, um, you get leaf to burn. Uh, leaf to burn is usually an indicator of either low potassium or low nitrogen. Yeah, so the, the obvious cues are um, yellowing, so just a general yellowing and that the urine patches, urine patches have high potassium and high nitrogen. Both make it greener. So don't get confused between potassium and nitrogen because um, they both produce a yellowing effect and urine patches both show up greener as a result. You can usually tell the difference if you know you've got potassium levels reasonable in the soil. So you've done your soil test, you've shown potassium is adequate. If the urine patches are still showing up or they're still yellowing between urine patches, then you know you're short of nitrogen. Another sign if you do have a frost, um, you get leaf to burn. 
Uh, leaf to burn is usually an indicator of either low potassium or low nitrogen gain. If you know that potassium is adequate, then you know that that's nitrogen. It's mm. good tips then uh, for farmers to be looking at yeah, yeah. Um, when making decisions about applying nitrogen. Are there any other further um, pieces of information, Richard, that you think are, are critical uh, for farmers to start thinking about um, uh, this spring and, and moving through the season in relation to nitrogen use? Yeah, you know, we talk about the rate source timing placement. Um, so the source of nitrogen, um, usually, if you don't need any other nutrients, if you don't need nitrogen, uh, phosphorus, potassium, sulfur, then just urea is the cheapest source of nitrogen. Uh, people say, well, urea poisons the soil. Well, actually, when the plant gets to see it, there's no difference between urine and urea. Um, and actually, probably 75 to 95% of urine is liquid urea. Um, so it's the same, it's the same product. Um, there is no difference in the nitrogen response between sources of nitrogen. But if you do need phosphorus at the same time as you need nitrogen, well then DAP, for example, mm -hmm. diammonium phosphate, is a very good source of nitrogen. Mm -hmm. um, if you need a spring application of sulphur, then one-off of ammonium sulphate might actually work for you. Just remember that ammonium sulphate as a source of nitrogen is very expensive compared to urea. Mm. But if you need the sulphur, well then there's a reason why you might consider yeah. using it. Use that product then. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So making sure we're using the right nitrogen source is also yeah. important. Yeah. And urea is, is, is always cheapest if you only need nitrogen. So Richard, um, in recent times I've had some farmers asking me about liquid formulations of nitrogen and applying that to pastures. Can you share a little bit of, of your knowledge in that space as well for us today? Yeah, we, we've looked at all sources of nitrogen from solids, liquids, gases, um, and as long as the same rate of nitrogen is applied per, so there's a unit nitrogen, the N per hectare, um, there's no difference between sources. People argue that ammonium versus nitrate versus liquid versus solid, um, at the end of the day, we've never found a consistent difference between sources. So that's why it comes back to the cheapest is the best. Mm. Um, liquids, if they are cost effective for you use, urea, ammonium, nitrate, those kind of uh, products, uh, just make sure that the dilution is there because if you apply it too concentrated during a drying spring period when you get some of those north winds coming through, you can scorch your pasture as a result of too concentrated. You can do it with urea as well. but. Generally, it doesn't happen with urea um, unless you've got dew on the ground and you've got urea sitting on the dew and it dries out. Um, so same effect, you can get some leaf burn as a result of that. So just making sure that that's diluted. But all sources are pretty much the same response to nitrogen. Mm. We have seen um, some farmers applying um, liquid forms of nitrogen through uh, spray irrigation assistance, um, but then um, perhaps uh, seemingly that the nitrogen doesn't last as long in comparison to urea. So is that, but coming back to that story that you just said, that if we're putting on liquid forms of nitrogen, we need to make sure it's an equivalent rate uh, to granulated forms? Or yeah, very much so. So, so, so that's why when, when I talk of nitrogen, I only ever talk about N per yes. hectare. You know, we know urea is 46% nitrogen, so you roughly double the rates to, to get the urea equivalent. Um, but it's really important that that's why we keep coming back to say somewhere between 20 and 50 kilograms of N per hectare. Now, liquids have varying rates of nitrogen. Um, I can't remember what urea ammonium nitrate has. It's probably 36% nitrogen in it, as I recall. But that's really important because, you know, if you're saying it's got 36% and urea's got 46%, well, 
that's a different rate that you have to apply to get the same unit of nitrogen on. So we cost it out on a um, per kilo of N basis, and then we're comparing apples with apples yeah, um, so. and um, yeah, uh, yeah. making a more informed decision. The, the other thing with putting liquids through some form of irrigation system, the efficiency of nitrogen in an irrigation system is very dependent on how efficient your water distribution is. And unfortunately, a lot of irrigation systems don't distribute the water evenly. And so you've got to be really careful. If you're on a very good center pivot that's well calibrated, then you can have some confidence that apart from wind blow, you're going to get a really reasonable distribution of nitrogen. So you compare a, 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 a spreader, a urea, a urea spreader, um, which gets a reasonably consistent rate across a paddock to a irrigation system where you've got a strong wind blowing from the one side and you get all sure. the water landing on the other side. Mm -hmm. Well, that's where all your nitrogen went as well. Mm. Um, mm. So you've got to be really careful about that. And we've done some work to show that you can have double or nothing in terms of your nitrogen distribution, mm. depending on how the wind blows when you blow it, when you're putting it through the irrigation system. Key message as well to take home. We've um, talked about nitrogen in the forms in the right time, the right place. But um, is species also important um, when you're thinking about application of nitrogen? Yeah. So if we're talking about pasture species. Um, there's definitely differences between pasture species composition. So if you've got, say, a short rotation ryegrass or an annual ryegrass, um, that is the most vigorous in responding to nitrogen. So if you had a choice about where to put the nitrogen, you'd be backing the short rotation or the annual rye, definitely. Um, the other thing about annual rye is if you've planted an annual rye, it's actually cost you money to establish. You need to get at least seven or eight grazings out of that annual rye to make it pay. So you'd want to be backing it with nitrogen to make sure you get those seven or eight grazings out of it. If you then, the next in, in, in rank would be perennial ryegrass as the next most mm -hmm. responsive species. So it's more responsive than um, paspalum, it's more responsive than fescue, it's more responsive than phalaris, uh, brome, any of the other grasses. Mm -hmm. So again, if you've got a paddock that's got a lot of fog grass in it, paddock that's got bad species mm -hmm. composition, well, you probably wouldn't spend your nitrogen there as much as you would on the better pasture composition. So thinking um, strategically about which pastures you apply your nitrogen onto is important as well in, in, term, in relation to species in there. Just one last thing, if we're using nitrogen on our crops, um, what, what are some of the things that you think are important? So for example, from an animal health perspective um, to consider? Yeah, so some, some of the pasture species, um, uh, some of the forage crops like brassicas, um, particularly pasture and, and, and turnips, um, you wouldn't want to put nitrogen on within about five weeks of your planned grazing. Uh, they, do, they are known to accumulate nitrate, and so you'd want to think about, say, 16 weeks of establishment of your forage crop, so you establish it in late spring, you bring it through to about New Year is when you think about if you've got water, uh, maybe effluent, you can put it on but then sort of time it so you're not putting it on closer than about five weeks from when you plan to graze it so that the nitrate levels are not too high. Mm. Yeah, and we don't have the risk of um, nitrate poisoning yeah. in our stock, for sure. Well, thanks, Richard, for your time today. Thanks, Darren. I uh, appreciate the opportunity. And, you know, with some of the research we've got coming through and knowing what conditions are coming, we, we really wanted to get the message out that using nitrogen is a, a risk management tool this spring. Well... 
That was a fascinating conversation with Richard Eckhart. If you want to learn more about nitrogen use on dairy farms, go to www.dairyaustralia.com.au where you'll find plenty of resources or have a chat to your local RDP Regional Extension Officer and they'll be happy to guide you in the right direction. Well, that's it from this episode. You can find previous dairy pods at SoundCloud or by subscribing to Apple Podcasts. Thanks for listening and bye for now.